0: hi i'm ted wolf welcome to the school of biz podcast powered by guidewise the world's most engaged business community hello and welcome to the school of biz podcast my name is ted wolf the podcast is powered by guidewise where we guide entrepreneurs and business leaders into achieving elite levels of performance. Today, I'm really excited to talk to Joe Bennett. Joe has a great background in technology and business growth, in particular, some unique insights on how you grow revenue within your business. So Joe, I'd like you to introduce yourself right now, if you could do that. Certainly.
1: Thank you very much, Ted. Um, Like you said, my name is Joe Bennett, and I've been working as a consultant, uh, an advisor, a technologist in the hard goods distribution industry uh, since 1988. Today, I'm currently employed by Unilog Content Solution, uh, which is a developer of a software platform that powers uh, e-commerce sites for specialty hard goods distributors. And I'm also a principal member of the consulting staff at a IT managed service provider called Business Data Links.
0: So, Joe, how did you get involved in the technology and the business, the career that you found yourself in?
1: Um, well, I guess it all goes back to high school. And, and like any kid, uh, maybe a, a, an influential teacher deserves a lot of credit. You know, I, um, I was born and raised in the United States, but a first generation to immigrant parents and uh, in a construction father background. So it was kind of in a blue collar neighborhood. Um, but in high school, uh, I always liked to play with math problems. And I got introduced to computers via the, the high school and uh, I really liked it. So I ended up getting a comp sci degree from RPI in upstate New York. And um, my goal was to develop software for electrical contractors because my father was an electrical contractor. Um, and I soon found that there wasn't a need in 1988. So I went to a shop that was developing software for electrical distributors, and of course, supply houses is something that I've been walking in the front door of since I was, you know, a wee lad, right? So um, mm-hmm. it was kind of a very logical migration. And then since then, I've had just the greatest opportunity to meet great people, be mentored by really smart people, and um, have managed a full career staying in the Technology space, specifically working with specialty hard goods distributors, such as electrical supply houses, plumbing supply houses, mm-hmm. HVAC supply houses, industrial pipeline fittings, and so on and so forth.
0: Okay. So what are the common challenges that people in those industries that you're specializing in? What are the challenges that they're facing today?
1: It's it's brutal today. So the war has always been tough for those guys, and I've always had the utmost respect head for for them. Um, These are people that when I got introduced to them, you know, as a customer walking into BiPipe at 6 a.m., they were there. Um, As a consultant and someone who worked with them then, I realized they were there, you know, Monday through Saturday, 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. These are hardworking, disciplined people. But the battlefield has changed. Um, the technological battlefield has changed drastically since the dawn of the Internet and then more specifically the birth of Amazon. So when you say, is Amazon supply, is Amazon B2B, is that a real threat to the specialty hard goods distributor? Of course it is. Uh, you know, a generation ago, they went to market as being, um, you know, having the product available at the place where you need it. That was their go-to-market strategy. Well, if that's your go-to-market strategy today, having a product at a place in a timely manner, um, let's face it, Amazon does that very, very
0: well. So what do you see in the future for these individuals? What are their main projects? What are the main changes that they need to implement or adapt to so they can continuously be generating more and more revenue at a profit? Well,
1: I would say the specialty hard goods distributor needs to shift from uh, being just a reseller of products and realize their value add is also service and I've said this a lot of different ways if you're a Jan supply house, you know you sell toilet paper um, you sell products to clean the bathroom. Um, you might do it in an industrial level where you sell it to the airport or to a municipality or to a school system or to a university um, but I've often said and people think i'm saying it tongue-in-cheek but i'm not i I often said hey do you really want to change your business um not only do you sell them the cleaning solutions clean the bathroom in other words there has to be some sort of value add there has to be some sort of service that you're offering that you haven't offered in the past that will differentiate you from just having product on time at the best price
0: so Let's say that they have a challenge. Their margins are thin. They've got to generate more revenue. They've got to grow the business. You know, revenue is the oxygen of the business. When the revenue dies, the business dies. How would you recommend increasing revenue? For instance, if if I said I'm going to give you $25,000 a month, how would you invest that to increased revenue?
1: That's a tough question to answer because I think the answer would be different depending on who I'm speaking to their business, their business size, where they are in their maturity, maturity, what technology they're embracing, what technology they're not. But, you know, Ted, I've often answered that question in in the following way. I've often said, um, do you want to make more money? The single easiest lever that you can pull to make more money is to raise your prices. And, and, and people think I'm joking and they laugh at me. And I've been saying this for mm-hmm. 30 years. Um, and if you look at a, a million dollar distributor and, and the guys that I work with, stereotypically, their margins are between 19 and uh-huh. 21%. This is very thin margin. And because of that, um, these, these guys are, are, are very, very good at controlling their operating expenses. The, these are. I, said, I often say they turn the lights off yeah. when they leave the room. Um, they understand where they're spending their money, and they're very conscious of their operating expenses. And often they believe to make more money, they have to control their costs. They have to control their costs. They have to control their costs. I'm talking about their operating costs.
0: Um, of course, I
1: say if you're a million-dollar distributor and you increase your prices by 1%, that's yeah. $10,000. With the exception of a commission on that $10,000 to a salesperson, if you pay commissions, that goes all the way down to the bottom line. So if you reduce, say, your overhead by 1%, if you reduce, and, and, and specifically like your salaries or your heating bill, it, it doesn't have this drastic effect. So I always say to people, uh, the, the battle of pricing is constant. It's ongoing. In, in fact, I've heard before, you know, pricing is a contact sport. I agree with that. You know, I want to sell something to you at the highest price, and you want to buy it from me at the lowest price. So you're probably hearing me and saying, "Oh, you would invest in some technologies revolving around automating the pricing or classifying Mm -hmm. your products into the proper groups for better pricing algorithms, or work with a pricing specialist." Uh, Possibly, uh, possibly, but there could also be other uh, technological investments that I would make, such as um, artificial intelligence that tells your salespeople of what your customers need to buy now, as opposed to reactively waiting. And believe it or not, Ted, many of these hard goods distributors have people standing at a counter, much like McDonald's has people standing at a counter, reactively waiting for someone to walk in, as opposed to proactively texting that person saying, I know you need this today. So I would look at AI technologies revolving around automated order. I would look at web commerce, of course. Um, Unilog is very good at that. I would look at uh, enriching my product content, which would also drive uh, revenue. I would look at pricing algorithms. And of course, depending on who I was speaking with, and if I learned more about their their business, maybe there would be some other technologies that I would advise.
0: Okay, so let's say that you have a client, you've had them for a number of years, good rapport, good conversations. And they say to you, I have to increase my geography. I have to increase the business in some way. We're just at the status quo, and I'm afraid that Amazon might be invading what we're doing in the future. What would you suggest they do?
1: To, to grow geography, a lot of distributors are acquiring each other. And the M&A activity has been there since I entered in 1988. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it's amped up. I don't know if it seems like it's amped up because uh, I'm old enough now to remember when there was many more and there's less. Uh, so a percentage at the same rate feels more drastic because mm-hmm. of, or is it really, really amped up? Um, so the logical way that they would answer okay. that is they would do an acquisition. Um, and that's going on not only of the, the big eating the big uh, you know the l- large regionals becoming nationals it's even global so if you look at most of the large distributors in the spaces that i mentioned yeah. Yeah. they're they're global companies um but but what i would suggest when you specifically said about amazon is i would advise do what amazon can't do um you know amazon Likes boxes yeah. that are the same sizes and they like nice and neat rinse and repeat so there are um, projects specifically in the electrical space I would say maybe you need to move towards uh, commercial lot, bi- lot lot what they refer to as lot billing jobs um, think of like the lighting on highways or stadiums and stuff like that amazon doesn't really like to get into that uh because it's service-related work as a
0: function, um, A lot of different inputs in generating revenue. Um, People can go out, you got the old world salespeople making sales calls, going in, knocking on the door, and uh, developing rapport, educating a prospect or a client, and then uh, trying to close some contracts. But then in addition to that, you've got other inputs today like uh, digital marketing, um, AdWords, you you hear LinkedIn, you hear all these blogging, the podcasts, um, Pinhurst, CRMs. Well, no, you got to go out on speaking engagements. What are you finding other people might be doing in those areas to generate more revenue? What is the consistent performers, or where do you find them in making investments in those technologies or old world world? salespeople knocking on doors, where are they getting the most benefit?
1: I think uh, in the last 10 years, the most benefit would be uh, a digital B2B, a true digital B2B okay. e-commerce site. Um, but I, I, I want to say that the, the best way to get the most benefit out of a digital a B two B e commerce site is to recognize that that digital B two B e commerce site is not replacing that traditional B two B salesperson. It's augmenting, a complementing. It's a tool in that salesperson's toolbox to help drive revenue. I actually believe, and maybe maybe erroneously, maybe I'm too old, maybe I'm too stale, that that B two B salesperson is needed, is wanted, and and should. Flourish so these technology tools aren't should not be a threat to them although they're often perceived as a threat to them um, they should be embraced by them as ways for them to drive revenue which of course drive revenue to the to the to, to the business um, and the reason why I believe that is I I believe for the remainder of my career um, that the space that I work in will still need that personal human touch uh, and I think. Uh, a lot of people, Ted, when they hear me say specialty hard goods distributor, they they really, especially if you're not a specialty hard goods distributor, they 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 go, "What does that mean?" He's speaking quickly, and I'm talking about um, a business that's possibly similar for an analyst to a um, specialty retailer. And I think all of us have uh, passions that we live outside of our work life, outside of our family life. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe you're into fishing, or you're into skateboarding, or you're into skiing, or you're into motorcycling. Um, If you're into motorcycling and you go into an Indian motorcycle shop, you browse around for fun because it's what you like to do. You talk to the salesperson about the new motorcycle because it's what you like to do. If you're a fisherman and there's new gear, you go to that specialty shop. And although the plumber, is that's his job. Uh, I I believe that it's also his passion. I mean, we all do what we love to do, or hopefully, right? And they need to go to that counter and speak. They still need to have that human touch of that exchange of knowledge because the the space has changed. So the advice that I would give, and I know I've babbled here, I would say um, to the hard goods distributor, your traditional B2B on the road, outside sales rep is, is still needed. And these technology tools don't look at them as a way to displace them. Look at them as a way to make them more efficient. Um, specifically the website, Ted, is a great example. And there's been the, the websites that have failed in B2B, I've often um I, I've often seen and I believe more than I've seen, um, the reason for failure is uh It's self-induced. In other words, the outside sales rep sees the um, website as a threat and says, oh, don't use the site. Call me. I'm your guy. You you know, I'll give you the straight skinny on the price and the availability. But if they were told your commissions are the same, uh, you can generate more revenue. You know, everyone wants less friction in their life. But when they see it as a threat and it's not addressed, that it's not a threat, Um, And then of course you'll hear stories of B2B e-commerce sites that were unsuccessful and unsuccessful being measured as they didn't increase revenue. They didn't drive enough revenue to offset Mm -hmm. their Mm costs.
0: So, oh yeah. Oh yes. So let's say that you go into a a client, longtime client, they're having some tough times and they're saying to you in effect, I don't know where to go from here. I'm afraid I got to shut down the business. How do you react to that?
1: I haven't had that experience, Uh, and and there have been people that have gone gone out of business, but stereotypically in the space that I serve, they go out of business by selling out. Um, Now, you wonder, did they sell out because of the example that you just said, or did they sell out because there's no logical uh, succession to the the business? And you might say, what do you mean? Stereotypically, these are family-owned businesses, and... By the time you get to the third or fourth generation, it, it, there may yeah. no longer be an interest in that business. You may now have diversity within the the clan, where you have a doctor and a lawyer and a musician, and you know pulling products yeah. in a warehouse really isn't my gig. Uh, I have seen Ted, and I I wonder if and if this is a good thing or not. I don't know, but I have also seen the battle against the acquisition is there been an increase yeah. in esops within the space that i serve um yeah. and personal friends of mine like customers of mine for years have have turned into esops and i understand that there's tax benefits and i'm learning from them which is by the way one of the greatest things about serving small businesses and being a small business is there's this bi-directional yeah. sharing is is just yeah it, 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 it's, it's there. They want to help me when I hear, hey, what is that? Why are you doing that? But there tends to be a lot of ESOPs now in the space that I serve as well, either ESOPs or selling.
0: Okay. So when you look at your day to day responsibilities, the challenges that you're facing, what's the most difficult part of your job?
1: Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a tough question for me to answer. I mean, uh, I'm not going to be a good guest for you here because I've often said to people, um, I don't have a job, but I work all the time. Uh, and I've, and, and it's, some of times it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I've been very fortunate. I really enjoy what I do. So what's the most difficult thing? I don't know. Someone asks me a technology problem that I can't solve right away. It's like doing a Sudoku puzzle, but it's taking you longer than you want it to, and you're getting frustrated, so yeah. you're up at night you know, trying to solve this. But there's also an immense amount of gratification with that. When you eventually do solve it, there's this feeling of achievement. Um, I don't have the problem that my customers have. My customers' problems that they have right now is they can't hire people. Um, they cannot hire people. And they, no one wants to work in their warehouse. And no one wants to drive their trucks. And this is you know blue-collar, working-class environment. And the cost of labor has gone up substantially. Um, I haven't had that. On the BDL side, You know, we're a group of network engineers or ERP specialists. We've known each other for a uh-huh. long time. We're very stable. We enjoy each other. And on the Eurobox side, uh, it's a growing uh, venture-backed software firm. So there's uh-huh. a lot of excitement there. There's people that want to join that. But the single biggest problem that I've seen in the industry that okay. I've served right now okay. is the labor.
0: Tell me more about that. So I didn't answer the
1: question, what's the worst part of my job? I, I, I guess I, I would say I, I don't have one.
0: Okay, great. So when it comes down to BDL, the business links, building and taking good care of a client's data IT responsibilities, where do you see that growing in the future? Why is that a growth industry and what gets you excited about that?
1: Uh, that's a growth industry, unfortunately. And I say, unfortunately, because the reasons why it's going to grow is 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 not exactly poor. Um, look, we we have to lock mm-hmm. our doors. We have to lock our doors. Uh, cyber security, cyber wellness, cyber health. Uh, these issues are real. Um, I often say to people, you know, you don't, you shouldn't, you know. Not preparing for a data breach, not preparing for a cyber attack is like not preparing for for dying. We're all going to die. It's going to happen, right? Um, And you will get attacked. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And the security, specifically on some of the IT assets that I work with, right, the ERP assets, is really low. Because they were built in the late 80s and the early 90s. They were built before the dawn of the internet. Um, So I would often say to people, uh, unfortunately, you're going to either have to hire network engineers in shop or you're going to have to work with external engineers that you know and trust because um, there's going to be a need for continuous uh, cyber checks, cyber wellness, cyber hygiene. Um, For example, we use software TED where we send out fake emails that emulates what a fake email would look like to see yeah. a report on mm-hmm. who within the organization. And, and you're aware of this, right? Um, so to see where the potential uh, human breach would be to, to help it. I also believe that part of your business insurance moving forward would be that a cyber pen test is done annually, uh, much like if you wanted to get um, health insurance. You'd have to go through some sort of uh, documentation with a doctor to say this is where his health is or her health is. I think in order to get business insurance in the future, you're going to have to have some sort of an external cyber uh, penetration test done. So, yeah, I do see the BDL arm of my life growing uh, simply because the need, um, the, the umbrella of what's under IT has increased. Phone systems are under IT.
0: What's the next mountain you want to climb? What's next in your life? Where do you want to go? And what, what problems do you want to help businesses solve? So I definitely
1: want to uh, continue to serve the space that I've served, which is the hard goods distribution space. That I want to remain constant in my life. I don't want to migrate out and start working with law firms mm-hmm. or- medical doctors, not that I have anything against law firms and medical doctors. I want to stay and work with our goods distributors. They've been very good to me. I think I've also bi-directionally helped them. But I love the industry. I want to stay there. Um, so I want to grow with them by su- supporting them via managed services via BDL and also product content and, and website services uh, via Unilog. With that said, I, I and I was telling Bill this, um, I want to approach my own business a little bit differently, uh, the the BDL arm, um, in that I want to be very transparent with everyone in the business of how we compensate each Mm -hmm. other. This is a very radical shift for me. Uh, And it came about by, uh, I'm a big fan of of rock and roll music, specifically Mm -hmm. uh, certain bands like U2 has always been a big, big band in my world. Um, I used to always say, you know, there's two heroes of mine that I'd like to meet. My real heroes are obviously my family, my parents, aunts and uncles. But Mm. I used to always say Bono and and John Bogle, right? Two very different guys, by the way. Um, And I don't know if I would have liked either one of them. Well, Bono, I could still meet. But um, in my mind's eye, these guys are great. Bono had a a line that he said that uh, he said, I want to make a great rock and roll band. I'm probably bastardizing with yeah. this quote. Pay the drummer as much as the singer. And um, I, I, I remember reading it and I was thinking, well, it's kind of condescending if you're the drummer, right? Like, you know, like, because, but at the same time, I understand the spirit of what he's trying to say. So believe it or not, as I mm-hmm. move into the, the swan song of my own career, the entity that I have complete control mm-hmm. over, I'd like to actually put us all on par and get a lot of true ownership in the end game of, of provide. And our, our motto is real simple. We want to provide more value to our customer than we charge. But I also want to do it in a way that is very different than how I built uh, you know, it was a small cog in the wheel that built an ERP system in the past. Um, I, I, I want to do it financially transparent, uh, let everyone see exactly what's going on, so they're aware and, and including uh, each other's salaries. Now, I know that's a radical idea, but I'm, I'm thinking about
0: it. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I think that, uh, you know, being able to think outside of the box is something you have to be able to do. Um, that requires a mindset that's very agile and resilient, but very innovative at the same time. So how do you think, what's the biggest challenge in growing that particular business then?
1: Um, the biggest challenge there is there, there is a mindset that the managed service provider needs to be geographically near your business, a traditional mindset. I don't agree with that anymore because the gear that we're using is all managed by software and we can have complete control of it no matter where we are. And we can do as good of a job as Johnny down the street. And a lot of times the biggest barrier would be, Joe, you don't understand. I can go to Johnny down the street from me and he can come. He doesn't know anything about my ERP system. He doesn't know anything about my business. He doesn't know anything about what we do, but but he can be here on site. And, and the biggest barrier is to break that down. That that's not needed now. Maybe yeah. the lockdowns over the last two years, maybe there's some benefit to them, right? And uh, that mindset has has broken a little bit. But that is a barrier.
0: Okay. So how are you? How do you manage in that new business? All the change and disruption that's going on in every industry and every business today it could be covid outside forces like that it could be just changes in technology or it could be overcoming old mindsets where people just don't understand the value that perhaps you offer so how do you manage that change and disruption that's constantly hitting every business today
1: um so the the it's a difficult question for me to to answer, but the the change the, man- the way we manage the change in our own business uh, because being an IT managed service provider, there's a lot of change, and we have to we have to stay abreast of that. There's new technologies, there's new tools that we have to deploy to our own customers. Uh-huh. The way we approach that is we divided business data links into two arms. We have an, the traditional IT arm, and my partner is. Uh, professor of network engineering at Cal Poly Pomona. And then we have the ERP arm. The ERP arm has, uh, ha, has been more stable. So it's, it's kind of a little less, uh, it changes less rapidly. It's, I don't want to say stale, but it's, it's fairly stagnant software on the IT arm. So yeah, how do we, my coworkers are 23 years of age, right? I, I, I learn from people as, as I teach them. We learn new technologies. On the, the customer side, though, um, how do we, you know, deal with those, those changes? That, that's our role. Our role is to introduce on both Unilog and BDL. Our role is to be an advocate of the industry and introduce them to this change. Uh, my experience has been, um, just, just speak with them, uh, openly and honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you, you know, what, what a lot of times technologists forget is, um, you know what's the important most important part of your house to the roofer? Okay. Your roof. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and, and you might say, I don't really care about my roof. Well, you care a lot about it when it's leaking, right? But up until right. that point, you don't care about it at all. Um, right. And a lot of times, IT is like that. So IT guys tend to be very passionate about how important the IT part of their world is. But it's not important to a person who sells fruits for a living unless it needs to be important. Right. So my goal is always to, to try to educate them. Uh, and I hope I do it in a way um, that is fun, informative. Genuine, authentic, and, and, and come, coming from a, a good place because I've seen people approach it in the speak down, condescending, and I don't think that ever works.
0: Yeah. So how do you frame a goal for the future? How do you frame here's the goals for the business in the next three or five years? We do,
1: we do frame it old-fashioned. We frame it by revenue.
0: Okay. We
1: have revenue goals at both Unilog and business Day.
0: Okay. So you have a revenue goal. That's the outside business, we call it. That's generating revenue in the outside world. But then you've got to bring in people's emotions, their beliefs, things like that. How do you manage that inner journey we all have in trying to achieve that outer goal of revenue growth?
1: I don't know if I'm equipped to answer that. I mean, on the on the business data link side, where I have substantially more control and, um, How do I achieve the inner workings? Um, We are a very informal, and I know people like that uh, organization. of uh, We we go for the human touch first. Uh, So even though it's a small organization, we have unlimited PTO. I know people say that pros and cons to that.
0: Yeah. So so, so let me pick up on that, if I can, where you say you are a human organization. We believe that's excellent because you can have outside goals, revenue growth, and that's the way most businesses do define what their goals might be in the future and growing the business. But then they really are grasping at that human element and they're not organizing an awful lot of that inner journey. So without those two worlds combined, that outer goal and that inner journey, they have great difficulty creating what we call plans of action. How do you define the priorities and the activities and the behaviors that are required within the business? Um,
1: how do I prioritize them or define the priorities? Um, I, I don't. I, I really don't know that. I, to be honest with you, I might. I might need to listen to some of your other podcasts okay. and and learn from that. Um, we we have. <laughs> Uh, all read some some uh, books, uh, specifically the book Traction. We've all we've made it mandatory reading, and we said, "All right, we're going to read this and see if we can yep. implement some of the uh, EOS yep. philosophies without being completely in." Uh, you know, so to me, uh, I, I do try to take little tidbits of different um, experts and kind of mold them into ours. Yep. I do believe the. The move forward, especially with uh, IT is a job where you're always on. In other words, if the machine goes down, you're getting a call at three in the morning. Yep. So it, it is, yep. you, you don't have a job, but you're yep. always on the job. So we need to make sure that our team is completely balanced and, and their human needs are also met. Um, and I think as the older guy on the team, yep. I need to teach them about some of the um, needs that they don't know they have. But they
0: will have. So, to that
1: end, for yep. example, Ted, yep. we have 100 yep. We have one hundred percent.
0: That, I think that's very I'm, insightful because what we've learned, okay, what we've learned, is that um, only four percent of businesses that have payrolls ever generate a million dollars or more in revenue on a consistent basis. If you're a female, it's even worse. If it's a female owned business, only 2% ever do that, according to our research. So, as we investigate and talk to more and more people, we find out that having a goal that's defined between income, freedom, and wealth is the key to starting everything. Then you've got to identify your obstacles in an organized manner. Finally, then you develop the right skills. And those skills always evolve around purpose, people, and performance, those three P's, if you will. So, purpose is the thing that Guides everything for you in the future. It puts a context around everything, and at the same time, you develop your goals and that they bring automatically and naturally that revenue goal along with what does an individual need in order to stay motivated? You being in, associated and in, around salespeople for a long time, there's wild swings in businesses. There's the emotional roller coaster everybody goes through. The real important thing is be able to anticipate how do I do, <clears throat> how do I combine my goals, my obstacles, and my skills in a way that enable me to manage change and disruption in the future, because I'm either going to be the recipient and react to other people's change and and, and disruptions that they force on me, or I can reverse that and I can become more innovative. And I do that through my mindset, how I think, feel, and act about the business. So I would want to congratulate you because when I asked, how would you generate more revenue? You said, increase prices. It's the easiest way. That's not the answer. Most people will give today. That's insightful. That's really good. When I asked, how do you set your goals? It's on revenue. You're fine. That's, that's the way you got to start doing it, but you are striving to develop more of that, people aspect, that people skill set of saying, we want to be open and fair. We want to reward accordingly. And we want to be open and have a lot of integrity in how we make our decisions and bring people in. And that's extremely important, very important. The next step is how do I get my performance to a level where I'm automatically bringing outside people into the performance. So they're active participants, not bystanders. And if you've been in sales, you know exactly what that means. You know, the difference between I'm pushing somebody into a sale versus they're guiding this entire thing. I'm just giving them information and they know their problem and they're going there. So Joe, what I would say to you is keep on your path. I think you're onto something. And I really think these, um, the data link services that you're offering are definitely a, a trend of the future. So I, I I think you got some great insight. I'm be very interested to see where you take that in the well, future. Thank you
1: very much, Ted. And I think you summed up what I do, uh, articulated it better than I did. And I would venture to guess that I could learn a lot from uh, listening to some of the other guests on this uh, podcast. And and uh, well,
0: yeah. I would like to thank you very much for being on the podcast. You've been an excellent guest. We've had very good insight and you have some different viewpoints on many things. And I think that's really, really good. I, 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 I really appreciate that. So thank you for your time. And I look forward to following your career and the, the next mountain that you decide you want to scale. Well,
1: Ted, thank you very much. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I, I think it was a, uh first time for me. So a, a little bit weak in some areas, but oh, I um, thought that was excellent. very good at what you do. You're very polished. Uh, you listen very well and you summarize what I said substantially better than I said it.
0: Hi, Ted Wolf here again. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the School of Biz podcast. For more information, please visit theschoolof.biz. And to learn more about how to join the world's most engaged business community, please visit guidewise.biz.